invite you to come take a seat. We're going to get into the Word with Pastor Daniel online. But just to know, if you need a Bible, you know he says that, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles and you're sitting there going, oh, I forgot mine. Most of us have it on our phones nowadays, but it's always good to blow the dust off the uh, physical Bible. There are plenty out in the foyer, and you're more than welcome to take them, use them, or pass them on. So if I see anyone dashing out, you're in the same boat as me. Didn't bring my Bible today. We're going to get into the Word. Before we do that, I will pray just in case Daniel hasn't prayed, and uh, we're going to open our hearts to our learning. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful that we get to come into your Word as community, as a body of people as a family. Lord God, may we just leave what's ever on our hearts and our minds and what's happening in life, we're leaving it at the door today, God. As we come into your word and take it in and learn more of you and of us in you. In your name we pray. Amen. I will now digitally hand it over to Pastor Daniel. Yes, COVID has hit the Mark's house. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to my shed. Uh, As you've probably heard, yes, COVID has hit the Mark's household this week. So uh, this is how the sermon's coming to you today, but it's good to still be able to share God's word with you in this way. So before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will bless this time, that your word will be proclaimed, that your spirit will plant it deep in our hearts. We thank you for this time in which we live where, just because I'm not able to be at the church in person, I'm still able to share your word faithfully, and we just pray that your word will be proclaimed faithfully today. We pray that you will help us to take to heart the warning and the encouragement that Paul has for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading today from the book of 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 22, for anyone who wants to follow along in their own Bibles. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. 
We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You can't have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Some very strong words from Paul to the church in Corinth this morning. And this is definitely one of those situations where it's helpful to see the context that these verses come in. And particularly to see what's come just before what Paul says here. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In these verses today, Paul is warning the Corinthians and he's warning us. This is uh, part of a larger conversation he's been having with them about what it means to be f- set free in Christ, to be able to enjoy Christian freedom. And he's warning them and us against a misunderstanding of freedom that can lead people away from God. And so to make his point, Paul gives us an example, an example of the Israelites in the Old Testament, in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Now, all of the Israelites in the wilderness had been saved out of Egypt. And Paul phrases their experiences, the things that they went through, in ways uh, to to draw out the similarities uh, to what we've experienced as Christians. So he puts it that they've all been baptized by passing through the Red Sea. They've all participated in spiritual food and spiritual drink, clearly designed to make the the Corinthians think about uh, communion and the Lord's table. They're drunk from the rock, uh, the water that came from the rock, which brings to mind uh, Jesus saying that he is the living water that we can come and we can drink. So 
God had rescued the Israelite people out of their slavery in Egypt. And he was bringing them to the promised land. But, Paul warns us, not everyone that was saved out of Egypt was truly one of God's people. God was not pleased with many of them, for many of their hearts were far away from him. They worshipped idols when they bowed down to the golden calf. They committed sexual immorality and they grumbled, which you might think, you know, that seems a bit lesser than some of the other things that Paul's just been talking about. But uh, when we read those passages in the Old Testament, we're seeing more than just people complaining about, you know, they're not being happy, but they're... um, committing rebellion against uh, against God and against Moses, against, uh, you know, they're, they're rising up against the, the leader that God has set in place. Uh, so it's a bit more than just uh, that they were having a bit of a wind. But Paul tells the Corinthians and us that this wilderness generation is an example and a warning for all of us. We're not saved because we were baptized. We're not saved because we've had communion. We're not saved because we said a prayer one time at a camp that we went to. And we know that there are people today who put too much trust in rituals, in baptism, in communion. I I went to a, a Lutheran high school and I know plenty of people there who were Christian because they were baptized and had really no idea about anything Jesus had said or taught or called us to follow, but they were baptized. And I think that's exactly the sort of thing Paul is warning us against here. People of Israel thought they were part of God's people. They'd been through the Red Sea, but their hearts were still far from God. All of these Things, the baptism, the communion, all of those things Paul has alluded to, all of them mean nothing if our hearts are far away from God and if we love other things more than we love the God who saved us. So, Paul then he moves from this example of this picture, this warning that he says God has given us through the experiences of the Israelites written down for us. And he, get, he moves from that example to warn us, flee from idolatry. Flee from worshipping things and loving things more, or worshipping things besides God and loving things more than we love God. Now we've seen in this broader section that uh, you know, of 1 Corinthians, this broader argument Paul has been having with the uh, the people of Corinth, that the the issue they were having was about whether it's okay to eat meat that has been sacrificed in an idol's temple, uh, and then has made its way into the marketplace after that sacrifice has taken place. And Paul has said, "There's nothing intrinsically wrong with eating that meat. We know that idols aren't anything that they're." Um, you know, we know that there's only one true God, and so it's fine to eat this meat unless you know somebody, or you're eating with somebody whose conscience says that it's wrong to eat that meat. 
And then if you eat that meat, uh, it's unhelpful. It's going to cause somebody else to violate their conscience. And then by causing them to violate the conscience, then you've committed a sin. But now Paul adds to that point too. It might be okay to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. But there's one thing that you shouldn't do, you should never do, and that is actually joining in in the worship of idols. Joining in in feasts and in celebrations that are an act of worship to pagan gods. He warns them, you know, false gods, be they ancient Greek, be they Hindu, be they Buddhist, be they, you know, some form of ancestral worship. These things are not just empty statues, but they are a demonic deception, taking um, the worship that is rightfully God's and twisting it into something wrong, something that imprisons and traps people and leads them away from the God who created them. Now, unlike for the people of Corinth, whose city boasted one of the largest temples in the ancient world, Worship in temples is not something that we often face. Maybe if you went away on holiday somewhere, uh, there might be a Hindu temple or a Buddhist temple or something. And I think in that case, if you are on a holiday there, yeah, Paul's words here do have uh, some meaning for us. Don't join in in worship in other temples. Uh, Just going in and looking at temples is okay, you know, if, if you're allowed to just go in and and have a look around and take pictures or whatever. But if part of going in is is bowing down and showing reverence and things like that, probably don't do it. Uh, Follow Paul's warning here. Follow his advice. Now, I say looking at the temples is okay, because we know uh, Paul himself, when he was in Athens, he went uh, around the streets of Athens and looking at all of the idols and all of the things so that, um, you know, that was part of what he used in his discussion with uh, the, the people of Athens when sharing the gospel with them. Uh, so I don't think looking at these things is bad, but worship, joining in in practices that are part of worship is something that we should be very careful about. But that's, you know, even then, that's only a fairly niche thing if we happen to go to another country. But Paul's larger point does very much apply to us, that we should flee from idolatry. Just as they couldn't share in the Lord's table and a demon's table, they couldn't, you know, uh, participate in Christ and also be joined with, you know, something that was demonic. We can't love both God and an idol. And I'm sure most of us have heard this one before, but anything, even a good thing, can become an idol if we love it too much, if it becomes something that we worship, that it becomes something we can't live without, if it becomes something that we invest so much of who we are in. Money can be an idol. Football can be an idol. Uh, Entertainment can be an idol. Our kids and their successes and their their, uh, lives can be an idol for us. Politics can be an idol. And like I said, many of us have probably heard that one before. I don't know about you, sometimes my anxiety has had a field day with that idea that anything 
any good thing can become an idol if we love it too much. And then I start to feel guilty about anything that I actually enjoy. Um, you know, I had times with when I really had quite bad anxiety of like wrestling with whether it was okay to do anything more than just you know, read the Bible and those sort of things. And I think there's one thing that God has taught me along that journey. And that is, there's a key to how we can enjoy good things so that they don't become idols. And the key is, let good things lead us to love God, not love the things. Any good thing that we enjoy, anything that's not intrinsically sin, anything that's not intrinsically like worshipping another false god, let it lead us to say, you know, thank you to God for letting us enjoy that, letting us letting that be a part of our lives. And let those things lead us to love God more rather than loving those things more. And I think you know, I think Paul is on the same page as me as we read a little bit later in chapter 10, which isn't actually part of our passage for today, which is a bit cheeky. But he says, um, Why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? I think that thankfulness is a huge part of how we can enjoy good things without them becoming an idol, without them becoming something that controls us. If we're thankful, if, if they lead us to worship God, they increase our love for God instead of becoming a rival for it. But we do need to take Paul's words quite seriously here. Flee from idolatry. Flee from worshipping anything but God from letting anything become too much of a part of who I am and how I understand myself, too much of a part of my life so that I can't even imagine life without it. Be alert, he warns us. If you think you're standing well, just be careful, be alert that you don't fall. Instead of letting love for other things take over, Love Jesus in response to the love that he has shown you. We know that we're saved. We, we are able to be saved only because somebody was able to be good enough for us. We, we weren't able to be good enough by ourselves. Our only hope was that someone would pay the price for our sins, that they would, uh, you know, the cost for our sins, which was death and separation from God. That, of course, is what Jesus has done for us. Our sins are paid for. What Jesus has done on the cross is enough to pay for the sins of everyone. But people need to receive it in faith. Our sins can't be forgiven if we don't turn from them, if we don't repent of them. Our relationship with God can't be restored if we don't believe in the one that he has sent and have relationship with him. So Paul's point throughout this whole section, both with the, the appeal to the Old Testament times and what he warns the Corinthian church about is, don't let our freedom in Christ become a snare. Our freedom does not extend 
to sin. Our freedom does not extend to idolatry. If if we love things, if we love these things more than we love God, that points to there being something very, very wrong in our lives. Our freedom doesn't extend to sin. But you might say, I sin sometimes. I sin more often than I should. Does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean that I will be one of those ones that will fall, like Paul is warning us? Now, it's worth taking Paul's warning quite clear, like quite carefully here to look over our lives that we don't fall, as Paul commands us, that we, that we watch our lives carefully, that we be alert and on guard. But the issue that Paul is particularly warning us against here is not that we sin sometimes. The issue is unrepentance in that sin, in thinking that Christian freedom extends to sin, having an attitude of, Jesus died for my sins, therefore I can sin as much as I like. That's the trap he's warning us about. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us, that he who was without sin became sin for us. We know that Jesus does not like sin, that it's rebellion against him. If we respond to the love that he has shown us by living in ways that defy Jesus, not caring at all what he thinks, it shows we love sin, not Jesus. But we do need to balance that against the important truth. We will all sin. We will all sometimes fall short. And the good news is that when we repent, he is faithful and true. And the great news that Paul gives us in these verses, this great encouragement, God is faithful. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And when we are tempted, he will help us if we let him. Paul tells us whenever we're tempted, God will give us a way out. There is no temptation that exists, that we can't beat with God at our side. So when you're tempted, bring it to God. Ask Him to help you to see the way out of that sin. Ask Him to show you how you can stand firm. And when you do fail, when you do give in to that temptation, don't be afraid. Don't be proud of your sin. But don't feel like you've thrown away the kingdom. Instead, bring it to him. Ask him to forgive you and know that he has promised that he will. Let's flee from idolatry. Let's be careful. Let's bring the things that we struggle with to God. Let's remember his incredible love for us and live lives that show our love for him in return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words from Paul. We thank you, even though they're strong words and stern words of warning, 
Thank you for that reminder that we shouldn't put our trust in the fact that we were baptised one time, that we had communion one time, that we prayed a prayer one time. Our hope lies in the fact that Jesus has died in our place, that we are in Christ, putting our trust in him each and every day. Lord, help us to see anywhere in our lives where we do love things too much. Any things in our lives that have you know, are in danger of becoming an idol or are already an idol. Help us to see those things. Help us to enjoy good things in our lives that, in a way that leads us to love you more, not to love them in place of you. And help us, when we're tempted, when we are struggling, to bring our temptation to you, trusting in your promise that Paul has given us here. And when we do fail, let us not be like the hard-hearted Israelites who were unrepentant in their sin. But let us come to you asking for forgiveness, trusting your promise that you'll give it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Much love to you all, and I hope to be able to see you all in person soon. God bless.